The New Testament reading for today is Mark 4, 35 through 41. The sermon text is Psalm 107. Mark 4, 35 through 41, Psalm 107. And as the children are making their way back to their seats, I would like to encourage everyone to come to the afternoon worship service, which begins at 1215. Uh, We will have catechetical preaching, singing, and corporate prayer. It really is a wonderful time, and I sound like a broken record, I know it, but that's okay. That catechetical preaching, I think, is very important for the life of the church and for the preservation of the Christian faith from generation to generation. So I'll be preaching on the Tenth Commandment uh, this afternoon and expanding upon what you've heard already about covetousness. Mark 4, 35-41, hear now the word of the Lord. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, that is Jesus, said to his disciples, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And when they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Let us go now to Psalm 107. And as I read Psalm 107, I will ask for your participation this morning. It should be bolded, I think. Will you go down a couple of slides, brother, just to make sure? Did you see the bold there? There's a repeated refrain that we find throughout the psalm, and I would like for you to, to read it aloud with me uh, when, we, when we come to it. The repeated refrain is, Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of man. So be ready for that. Psalm 107, verse 1. O give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, And He delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of man. For He satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul He fills with good things. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God And spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. And he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death. And burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love. For his wondrous works to the children of man. 
for he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts in two the bars of iron. Some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. And let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds in songs of joy. Some went down to the ship, to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven, they went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits' end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and He brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol Him in the congregation of the people and praise Him in the assembly of the elders. He turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. He turns a desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water, and there He lets the hungry dwell, and they establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. By His blessing they multiply greatly, and He does not let their livestock diminish. When they are diminished and brought low through oppression, evil, and sorrow, He pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless wastes. But He raises up the needy out of affliction and makes their families like flocks. The upright see it and are glad, and all wickedness shuts its mouth. Whoever is wise... Let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. So far the reading of God's most holy word. May he add his blessing to the preaching of it this morning. At the beginning of this little sermon series, I made a few brief remarks about the structure of the Psalms. Psalms 1 and 2 are the entrance to the Psalter. They are the twin pillars that we must walk between as we enter the Psalms. They are law and they are gospel. Do you remember that? And I also draw your, drew your attention to the fact that the 150 Psalms of the Psalter are divided into five books. The headings to the five books of the Psalter are found above Psalms 1, 42, 73, 90, and 107, which is our psalm for today. So this psalm, Psalm 107, is the first book of, first psalm rather, of book 5 of the Psalter. Now it can be very difficult to recognize this as we consider one psalm at a time, but the Psalter is in fact carefully organized. There are little groupings of psalms. For example, there are clusters of the Psalms of David. There are pairings of law gospel psalms found throughout the Psalter. There are groupings of various themes. But the most obvious structure is observable in the division of the five books. And scholars have recognized that each of these five books does carry a general theme. 
Now, scholars differ on the terminology, but I do appreciate the terms used by O. Palmer Robertson. The Psalms are about the kingdom of Israel, he notices. And book one carries the theme of confrontation. I think we are to think of the struggles that David endured before taking the throne as king of Israel. Book two carries the theme of communication. In these Psalms, the nation of Israel is established and the nations are compelled to come and to consider the steadfast love of the Lord for Israel, His salvation, His judgments, and to worship the God of Israel. Book 3 carries the theme of devastation. We are to remember that Israel and Judah were eventually carried away into captivity because of their sin. And so book 3 of the Psalter is filled with psalms of lament and cries for rescue. Book 4 carries the theme of maturation. In these psalms, we find the mature perspective of Israel regarding the promises of the Davidic covenant. So, book 3 was about devastation. There we found psalms of lament, which cried out to God, saying, Where are you, Lord? Have you abandoned us completely? That is my paraphrase, of course. But in book 4, the mature perspective of Israel is set forth, where Israel seems to regain this confidence in the covenants that God has transacted with His people, in particular the covenant that God made with David. And book 5 carries the theme of consummation. Here in this fifth and final book of the Psalter, the movement is away from the devastation of captivity, and it is up towards Jerusalem and towards the temple. Throughout book 5 we are compelled to remember God's steadfast love and to praise Him. All of this will culminate with the so-called Hallelujah Psalms, or the Praise the Lord Psalms of Psalm 146 through 150. So in this way, the flow of the Psalms matches the flow of the history of redemption in the experience of the Old Covenant nation of Israel. And in this way, the Psalms are rightly called the Book of Praises, Not all psalms are psalms of praise. We know that there are wisdom psalms, there are psalms of lament, etc. But the book of Psalms does move us to praise. Praise is found throughout the Psalter, and the Psalter does conclude with praise. It moves to this climax, and we see this especially in book 5 of the Psalter. This book is about consummation. And the people of God are carried up to Jerusalem and up to the temple and are urged to give praise and thanks to God. I've said all of this by the way of introduction so that we might see that Psalm 107 is a marvelous introduction to Book 5 of the Psalter, for it is meant to provoke praise. That is its theme. We are called upon to give praise thanks and praise to the Lord. Listen again to the opening lines and consider the way that this psalm compels us to praise. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. So let us carefully consider these opening lines. They set the tone for this psalm in particular. And they also set the tone for Book 5 of the Psalter in general. First of all, Psalm 107 opens with a call to worship. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, is the opening line. 
This introductory call to worship sets the tone for the remainder of this psalm, which will call for the redeemed to worship four more times with that repeated refrain, Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of man. That is the call that we hear throughout this psalm. We are called to thank the Lord for His steadfast love. We are called to thank Him for His wondrous works. It is interesting that we need to be called to do this. You would think it would just be natural to us to thank the Lord, to consider His wondrous works, to give Him praise. But I think you know from experience that sometimes we forget this. Sometimes we are distracted by the things of this world. Sometimes the love that is in our hearts grows cold. And so this psalm does helpfully call out to us as God's people, as the redeemed of the Lord, to praise and to thanksgiving. Secondly, it is the Lord who is to be worshipped. You will notice that Lord is spelled with all capitals in the English, indicating that it is the Hebrew word Yahweh that is being translated. This name for God emphasizes His self-existence, His unchangeableness, and His covenant faithfulness. And I think that is the most significant thing here to note in this psalm. It is, the, it is the Lord who is to be praised. It is the Lord who is faithful to keep His covenant promises who is to be praised. In this brief study on the psalms, I've, I've grown in my appreciation for the role that the covenant which God transacted with King David plays in the Psalter. Many of the psalms we have found refer back to that covenant And many of them do also look forward in some way to the fulfillment of the covenant that God transacted with King David. And of course, the covenant that God made with David, which is recorded for us in 2 Samuel 7, does not stand all alone, but is organically connected to the promise that God made to Adam and to the covenant that God transacted with Abraham and with Israel in the days of of Moses. These are all connected to one another. But the point is this, it is the Lord. It is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph, the covenant-making and covenant-keeping God. It is the Lord who is to be praised. He is the God of the Bible. He is our Creator and Redeemer, and He is faithful to keep His covenant promises. He is worthy of all praise. Thirdly, the psalm calls us to praise the Lord specifically for His goodness and His steadfast love. O give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. For His steadfast love endures forever. God is good. And by this we mean that He is upright and free from all that is evil. He is holy. He is pure. And this must be the confession of the faithful. For this is the clear revelation of Holy Scripture. God is good. He is holy. We know that when the angels in heaven praise Him, they do declare His holiness three times over, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. You may see Isaiah 6.3 or Revelation 4.8 for instances of this. And when we come to worship the Lord, we must declare the same in our hearts and with our lips. The Lord is good. We must declare that He is good all the time, for He does not change. He is most holy. He dwells in the light which no man can approach unto. Yes, we do see that this world is filled with evil. Yes, we see that the world is filled with suffering. But this is the result of our sin and our rebellion. God governs this fallen world. And God is accomplishing all of His purposes in this world. This He does despite our sin. 
working all things together for good for those who love Him and are called according to His purposes. He does this also for His glory. You may see Romans 8.28 and Romans 9 for this. But God is unstained. God is pure light. He is holy and upright, free from any blemish. God is good. And we must declare this as His people. And when we say that God is good, we also draw attention to His kindness. Not only is He morally upright, not only is He pure, free from all blemish, but He is also kind. He is merciful. He is gracious. And given the theme of this psalm, that does seem to be especially in view here. God is good. He is merciful. He is kind. When the psalmist goes on to say, His steadfast love endures forever, he is drawing attention to the covenant faithfulness of God. God entered into covenant with Abraham. He entered into covenant with David. He set His love upon them and upon their offspring. He promised to preserve their offspring and to bring the Messiah into the world through them. And here the psalmist is drawing attention to the steadfast love of the Lord. His love is constant. His love is unchanging. His love is faithful. And He will be faithful to keep all of His gracious promises. That is what this psalm is drawing our attention to. In verses 2 through 3, the psalm calls upon the redeemed of the Lord to praise the Lord for His goodness and for His steadfast love. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. So the redeemed of the Lord are to consider their redemption and they are to give praise to the Lord for He is good, His steadfast love endures forever. Now most agree that this psalm was composed late in Israel's history. During the time when the people of Israel returned to Jerusalem and to their temple from Babylonian captivity. I briefly rehearsed the history of Israel for you in a sermon not too long ago. For now, I'll simply remind you that the Jews spent 70 years in Babylonian captivity because of their sin, but the Lord was gracious to return them to their land, beginning in 538 B.C. This He promised to do, and He was faithful to do it. The Lord was merciful to them. He was faithful to keep His promises to Abraham and to David, and here in Psalm 107, the redeemed of Israel are called upon to offer up praise to their God. He is good. His steadfast love is, endures forever. They were to remember it. They were to consider the redemption and give God praise. Now, I do agree that this was the original circumstance that prompted the writing of this psalm. The original circumstance was indeed the return of the Jews from Babylonian captivity and I think we should do our best to put ourselves in that setting. Do you ever use your imagination when you read the Scriptures? You, you really need to. You need to consider what it would be like to be a Hebrew, a descendant of Abraham, a, a, a child of, of God, an Israelite, living in Babylonian captivity. Imagine it, being a faithful one, one who loved God and who desired to see God's promises fulfilled Imagine the longing that you would feel in your heart to return to Jerusalem and to the temple. Imagine the longing you would feel in your heart to see the Messiah that God had promised come into the world through, through the Israelite nation. And then to be redeemed from that captivity and to be brought into Jerusalem, into the temple. It would be such a reason for rejoicing. And this psalm is a call to that very thing. 
It was a call to, to Israel to give praise to God for this redemption and for God's steadfast love. But this psalm, you will notice, is written in such a way that the redeemed of the Lord, living in every time and place, may sing it from the heart. In fact, I do believe this is the proper interpretation of this psalm. It was a psalm to be sung by Israel, celebrating their return to Jerusalem and to their temple from Babylonian captivity. But it is also a psalm to be sung by the redeemed of the Lord, living in every time and in every place. And the reason this is true is that the historical redemption of Israel from Babylonian captivity was prototypical of the redemption that all who are found in the Messiah by faith experience. They, the old covenant people of God, were redeemed from Babylon. And those who have faith in the promised Messiah are redeemed, but they are redeemed from bondage to sin, from the kingdom of Satan and the fear of death. Yes, Israel was for a time held captive, They were for a time separated from the land and from the temple where the the glory of God did dwell. They were aliens and they were sojourners, but God set them free. He redeemed them. He rescued them from the enemy and reconciled them to Himself. He brought them up to Jerusalem. He brought them back into His presence in the holy temple. And what I am saying is that this, just like the Exodus event, was an earthly picture of the heavenly and spiritual redemption that is ours in Jesus Christ. Psalm 107 is written in such a way that it has obvious reference to Israel's deliverance from Babylon. In fact, the language used is also reminiscent of Israel's deliverance from Egypt. But at the same time, this psalm may be taken up by the individual worshiper, the individual under the Old Covenant or new, who has placed their faith in the Messiah, and they may see their own experience there. That is what I want for you to recognize. We may see our own experience here. We may see a picture of our own redemption in Christ Jesus here. And we may raise up from the reading or singing of the psalm and say, This is what the Lord has done for me. This is the deliverance that the Lord has worked for my own soul. So in this way, Psalm 107 is not only about Old Covenant Israel's deliverance from captivity, It is also about the redemption of God's people from all nations. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Do you hear it there? This is about God gathering His people in from the nations. Yes, the Lord did gather Israel, who had been scattered from east and west, north and south. But we must not forget that God had promised to gather the nations also. Remember the promise made to Abraham. He was blessed to be a blessing. In him all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And the prophets who ministered during the time of the Babylonian captivity never lost sight of this. They ministered to Israel, the descendants of Abraham. The prophets spoke words of comfort to them during Babylonian captivity concerning their eventual return to Jerusalem. But as they ministered to Israel... They also reminded Israel that one day the nations would be brought back to the Lord also. We must not lose sight of this either. Consider the prophet Isaiah. He spoke words of comfort to Israel in exile, saying, He, that is the Lord, 
will rise, raise a signal for the nations and will assemble the banished of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. That is Isaiah 11.12. He's speaking words of comfort to the dispersed, to those in exile, saying, it will happen. God will keep His promises to you. He will bring you back into the land. And that was Israel's hope as they lived in Babylonian captivity. And Psalm 107 is clearly a celebration of the fulfillment of this promise. But consider also Isaiah 56. There the prophet declared that the Lord would redeem not only ethnic Israel to bring them back to the land, but foreigners too. And concerning the foreigners, the Lord said, I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. And so the prophets would minister words of comfort to Israel, saying, He will bring you back. But never did the prophets allow Israel to lose sight of this. He will bring you back, and by doing so, will also gather the nations in from east and west, from north and south. And I do believe that that is what Psalm 107 is referring to when it speaks of east and west and north and south, the redeemed of the Lord from amongst the Jews, and the redeemed of the Lord from amongst the Gentiles also, you and me, are to give thanks to the Lord. We are to give Him praise for our redemption, for He is good. His steadfast love endures forever. He has kept His covenant promises, and He will always. So when we read the opening verses of this psalm, we'll give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His steadfast love endures forever. We are to, we are to remember our redemption in Christ Jesus. It is right for us, first of all, to remember the redemption that God worked for Old Covenant Israel from Babylonian captivity. But we must not forget the redemption that God has worked for all nations, yes, even for you and me, through the Messiah that has come into the world, through God's faithful preservation of Israel. This is the proper interpretation of this passage. It is the interpretation that the Old Testament Scriptures demand, and it is surely the interpretation of the New Testament Scriptures which demonstrate that Christ is the fulfillment of all the law, the prophets, and the Psalms. See Luke 24. To state the matter most succinctly, or at least more succinctly, this psalm gives praise to God for the redemption that He accomplished for Israel to rescue them from Babylonian captivity and to bring them home to Jerusalem, to God's temple. And... The psalm gives praise to God for the redemption that He has accomplished for His church in rescuing them from the power of sin, Satan, and death to bring us safely home into the new Jerusalem, which is His eschatological and eternal temple. Both of these things are true at once, for the experience of Old Covenant Israel was a type or a foreshadowing of the experience of Christ and His redeemed bride, the church. And all of that is a rather complicated way of saying, this psalm was originally about Israel, but it is also about you and me and all who are united to Christ by faith. The remainder of this psalm is divided into five parts. There are four stanzas wherein the loving kindness of the Lord to redeem sinners is described to us, and then there is a conclusion. 
The four stanzas are very easy to identify, for they begin in the same way. Verse 4, Some wandered in desert wastes. Verse 10, Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death. Verse 17, Some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquity suffered affliction. Verse 23, Some went down into the sea in ships. These, we learn, were storm-tossed and despairing. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. And so these four stanzas describe the plight of Israel and Babylonian captivity from different vantage points. But they also describe the plight of sinners, alienated from God, helpless and hopeless in every time and in every place. I read this psalm many months ago. And when I did, I I thought of the testimonies of the members of this church. I thought of the mercy and grace that God has shown to us in Christ Jesus. In some ways, our stories all differ, don't they? Our experiences prior to coming to faith in Christ uh, differ from from one another. Uh, But in some ways, our stories are all the same. We were hopelessly lost. We were in bondage. We were spiritually afflicted. We were despairing. But God was merciful to us. He rescued us from our plight and redeemed us to Himself. And here in these four stanzas that we are about to consider, we find our redemption in Christ Jesus pictured in different ways, from different vantage points, I find this psalm to be very moving. I find this psalm to be helpful as we desire to contemplate our redemption in Christ Jesus and to give God thanks that this psalm helps us to see all that we have been rescued from and thus to praise. As we consider the redemption that God has worked for us, What should be our response? The repeated refrain tells us, Let us thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of man. This should be our response to the redemption that is ours in Christ Jesus. We are to thank the Lord for His steadfast love. He has kept His covenant promises. We are to give Him praise for His wondrous works, His work of redemption that He has accomplished through Christ Jesus our Lord. Consider with me briefly verses 4 through 9. This is the first stanza wherein our redemption in Christ Jesus is pictured. And and here the picture is that of hopelessly lost sinners being retrieved. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted within them. Again, I would urge you to use your imagination here. Imagine being hopelessly lost in a desert waste. Imagine being without food or water. And think of how your soul would, in fact, faint within you as you try and try to find a way to a city to take refuge in, but without success. You would certainly be given over to despair with the passing of time. And here we are to see that this is the plight of every sinner who is alienated from God because of their their sin. Apart from God, this world is a desert waste. The soul of man was made to take refuge and to find comfort and nourishment in God. 
But being separated from God because of sin, the sinner wanders in desert wastes. He tries to find nourishment. He tries to find refreshment in the things of this world, but to no avail. He finds no true comfort, no refuge, no sustenance, and is left without hope. And this will be his plight for all eternity, apart from the salvation of the Lord. Can you relate to this, brothers and sisters? Can you relate to wandering in desert wastes like this, spiritually speaking? I think that many of you can. But in verse 6 we read, Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Here we are reminded that God is merciful and kind. As Psalm 46.1 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And so men and women are here urged to call upon the name of the Lord. They, they, are, they are urged to run to Him for refuge. And if they are to find refuge and satisfaction in God, we know that they must find it in God's anointed Son. Do not forget Psalm 2.1. Excuse me, Psalm 2.12, which said, Kiss the Son, lest He be angry, and you perish in the way, for His wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. Remember that the Psalter began with this exhortation. As we considered the law and as we considered the gospel, all sinners were urged to run to the Son for refuge, to kiss Him, to befriend Him, and to take refuge in Him. And here this imagery of wandering in a desert waste and being hopelessly lost is to provoke us to do this very thing. This is our state in our sin. We are hopelessly lost. We are to, to run to God. We are to take refuge in His anointed Son. What a wonderful call this is, to take refuge to God. He is the city that we are to dwell in. Those lost sinners who call upon the name of the Lord are delivered from their distress. They are led in a straight way till they reach a city to dwell in. Ultimately, that city is God Himself. It is ultimately the new heavens and earth, the new Jerusalem, which has no need for the Son, for the glory of God will fill that place. And I would like for you to listen to the way that John describes the new heavens and earth in Revelation 21-22. He says, and I saw no temple in that city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need for sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. Meditate upon this, brothers and sisters. Think upon the hopelessly lost sinner wandering in desert wastes, finding no refuge, finding no shelter. And think of the hopelessly lost sinner calling out upon the Lord to bring salvation to him. That lost sinner is then brought into to a place of refuge, but it is God Himself who is our refuge. He is the one who covers us with His wings. He is the one in whom we find sustenance, encouragement, satisfaction. That is the picture of Psalm 107 here. We are being urged to run to God and to His anointed for refuge. Dear brothers and sisters, God Himself is our refuge and strength, and if we are to take refuge in Him, we must be found in Christ by faith. Consider how Christ described Himself in His earthly ministry, and compare it to the plight of sinners as described in verses 4 
and 5 of Psalm 107. Sinners are hopelessly lost as if in a wasteland, but Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is the way. Through Him we come to the Father. That is John 14, 6. Sinners are desperately hungry, and Jesus called Himself the bread of life. John 6.35 Sinners are terribly thirsty, but those in Christ shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and He will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That is Revelation 7.16-17. So, it is Christ who is our Savior. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding a way to a city to dwell in, hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. And such were we before taking refuge in God and in His Christ. Then we cried to the Lord in our trouble, and He delivered us from our distress. He led us by a straight way till we reached a city to dwell in. What now shall we do? The psalm answers in this way, Let us thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of man. For He satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul He fills with good things. This He has done for us. We are to praise the Lord. Now, in verses 10 through 16, our redemption is considered again, but from a different vantage point. Here our plight is not described as lostness, but bondage. And our deliverance is not described in terms of the provision of a city of refuge, but rather as release from this bondage. Verse 10, Some sat in darkness, in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. Notice that their, their bondage is the result of their sin. But I would again urge you to imagine the despair of imprisonment such as this. Put yourself in the place of the prisoner, locked up in that dark dungeon with no hope at all for release. And I again would urge you to see that such is the condition of every human soul apart from the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. By nature we are in bondage to sin. We are in bondage to the power of Satan. We are also in bondage to the fear of death. But Christ came to set us free from this bondage. He has set us free from the power of sin. He has set us free from bondage to Satan. He has set us free even from the fear of death, as Hebrews 2.14-15 says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, He Himself likewise partook of the same things, He, he became incarnate, that through death He might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. We have been freed from this. And once again the psalm does urge sinners to cry out to God for rescue. For God is merciful and kind. Verse 12 tells us that God bowed their hearts, that is the hearts of the prisoners, down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. If you are living in sin presently, I actually pray that the Lord would do this very thing for you. For this is the mercy of the Lord. May He bring you to this place of, of utter despair and lead you to finally turn from your sin and to call upon His name. 
And that is what the text describes next. Verse 13, Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of the darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. If you are in Christ Jesus by faith, you you know this freedom. You know what it is to be set free from bondage to sin, Satan, and the fear of death. What then shall we do? Let us thank the Lord for His steadfast love for His wondrous works to the children of men. For He shatters the doors of bronze and cuts in two the bars of iron. In verses 17 through 22, our redemption is considered again, but from another vantage point. This time, it is sickness that is described. Verse 17, Some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquities, suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. He sent out His word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. And I wonder, Christian, can you relate to what is described here? Did you live as a fool for a time, and because of your iniquities, suffer affliction? God does use afflictions to move people to repentance. Perhaps He did this for you. Maybe God used afflictions to move you to cry out to Him for relief. In fact, I know that is true for some within this congregation. And I wonder, Christian, do you pray that this would be true for those you love who are living in sin and rebellion against God and Christ? Have you ever asked the Lord to afflict someone you love, if necessary, so as to lead them to repentance? I actually often pray this way. Never have I prayed for affliction for affliction's sake. But I have prayed that the Lord would kindly afflict so as to draw a sinner to to repentance. Lord, bring so and so to a place where they might see the severity of their sin and their need for Christ. Lord, make so and so discontent. Make them uncomfortable in their sin. Bring them to that low place so that they might cry out to you for salvation. Have mercy, Lord. In one way or another, God has rescued all of us from affliction through Christ Jesus. God has humbled us. He has moved us to cry out to Him for mercy. What then shall we do? Let us thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of man, and let us offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of His deeds in songs of joy. In verses 23 through 32, our redemption is described yet again. But here the images of those who are storm-tossed on the sea and despairing. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on great waters. Here we are to think of merchants eager to make a profit and to enjoy the pleasures of this world. Can you picture them going down to the harbor and boarding the ship, and there they are, fully expecting to make a great profit and to to grow rich and to enjoy the, the pleasures of this life. They saw the deeds of the Lord, though, His wondrous works in the deep. Deep waters signify the judgment of the Lord in the Scriptures. We're to think of the waters that God divided at the time of creation. We're to think of the flood, the parting of the Red Sea, even the story of Jonah. The tone is therefore ominous in this psalm. Verse 25 
For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men, as it were, and, and, and were at their wit's end. Picture this also. Uh, a small boat being lifted up to the heavens and then brought down so low, and these men are despairing. How many of the exiles of Israel experience this sort of thing literally, I, I do not know. But many have experienced this very thing spiritually. Many sinners living in rebellion against God have been tossed to and fro by the storms of life, bringing them to their wits' end and leading them to utter despair. Not long ago, a man living in sin told me, I have felt very unsettled and afraid while living in this sin. I think that is what is being described here. You know, that unsettled feeling, that fear of death. God does sometimes use it to draw sinners to repentance. And perhaps you've experienced something similar when the Lord drew you to faith and repentance. You were going about your business. You were chasing after the pleasures of this life with no care for God or the things of God. And then you grew unsettled. You became aware of the frailty of your life, the certainty of death, and the judgment that awaits you. And I am saying that this is the mercy of the Lord, for He rescues many sinners from storm-tossed seas. What shall we do when life grows tumultuous and when we feel that turmoil within us? Verse 28, We must cry out to the Lord in our trouble, for He will deliver us from our distress. He will make the storm be still, and the waves of the sea be hushed. Then we will be glad that the waters are quiet, and He will bring us to our desired haven. Brethren, the Lord has done this for you in Christ Jesus. If you have faith in Him, He has calmed the storms of your heart. He has rescued you from despair and from the fear of judgment. What should be our response? Again, verse 31, Let us thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of man. Let us extol Him in the congregation of the people and praise Him in the assembly of the elders. This we are to do Lord's Day by Lord's Day. Now, verses 33 through 43 bring this psalm to a marvelous conclusion. The pattern that we have now experienced four times over, the pattern of calamity, a cry for mercy, salvation, and thanksgiving, is dropped in this section. Here the psalmist simply exalts the Lord as he testifies to God's ability not only to rescue sinners from calamity, but to provide them with true refuge, stability, and prosperity. That is what is described here, and it is a great comfort. This conclusion is so very beautiful, it's probably worth a sermon all its own. As I read it, listen for allusions to other biblical stories from the history of God's redeeming acts. Truly it is God's sovereignty that is being emphasized here. It is His ability to deliver His people, and He will surely do it. For our God, verse 33 turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. Think now of Sodom and Gomorrah. Consider the judgments of God. We continue. He turns a desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water. 
And there he lets the hungry dwell, and they establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. I think we are to remember the experience of Israel in the wilderness when God provided water from the rock. We are to also think of the conquest and the establishment of Israel in the land and, and how the Lord provided for them in that place. By His blessing they multiply greatly, and He does not let their livestock diminish. When they are diminished and brought low through oppression, evil and sorrows, He pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless wastes. But He rises up the needy out of affliction and makes their families like flocks. Can you, can you picture now the flourishing and the prosperity of God's people? The upright seed and are glad and all wickedness shuts its mouth. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. What a marvelous exhortation this is. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. That is the call of the psalm. Think about this, brothers and sisters. Ponder the redemption that is ours in Christ Jesus. Consider what God has done for us. Brothers and sisters, will you consider God's steadfast love today? Consider His covenant faithfulness shown to Israel to redeem them from Egypt and from Babylon. Consider His covenant faithfulness to bring the Christ into the world through them and to bless the nations of the earth through Him. Consider the grace that He has bestowed upon you in Christ Jesus to redeem you from all despair. And as you consider these things... Consider also this, God has rescued you from all despair by reconciling you to Himself so that you might take refuge, comfort, and find your satisfaction in Him. Really, it is hard to put into words, at least succinctly. But we must not forget that the greatest blessing that is ours in Christ Jesus is not what we have been rescued from, but what we have been rescued to. Namely, the enjoyment of God forever and ever. For God's redeemed will dwell securely in Him. They will flourish in Him. They will be satisfied in Him for all eternity. And that is what this psalm is about. Yes, Israel was redeemed from Babylonian captivity and was brought back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple where the glory of God was manifest in the midst of the people. But that was a picture of something much greater. Our redemption in Jesus Christ, the new heavens and the new earth, the heavenly Jerusalem, the eschatological temple of God. John saw a vision of this heavenly temple. The angel showed him the river of water of life, brightest crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there, will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast Lord, love of the Lord, and let us be moved to thankfulness and to praise. Let's bow together for a word of prayer now. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for our rescue in Christ Jesus. 
We thank you for what you have rescued us from. We thank you even more so for what you have rescued us to. That is the full enjoyment of God forever and ever. God, I do pray that you would increase our gratitude for our salvation in Christ Jesus. Increase our longing for you, O Lord, that we would long to dwell in your presence even now and certainly for all eternity. Draw us near to you, O Lord, through faith in the promised Messiah. Father, we do ask that you would keep us and bring us safely home. We know that you have promised to do that very thing. Our hope and our confidence is in Christ alone, and in his name we pray. Amen.